If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 12. And we'll go from verse 18 through to verse 27. All right. You there? Mark chapter 12 from verse 18. This is God's word. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Now let's uh, give another brief prayer. Lord, help us this morning. We desperately need you to do something in our hearts that will receive your word. Help us, Lord, to not be like the Sadducees here, being quite wrong. But Lord, help us to be quite right as we look at your word. Would you show us the Lord Jesus? Would you show us ourselves? And Lord, in doing that, would you give us the faith that would run to him, knowing who we are and knowing who he is? We're asking in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you remember last week, <clears throat> just in the passage before, there were Pharisees and Herodians. Um, there was this little political plot. The, these two groups of people, they got together. They're not usually friends, but they got together because they had a common enemy. And they had a plan to go and trap Jesus, put him in a conundrum, in a bit of a dilemma, where he's either going to make the government angry, or he's going to make the people who are oppressed by the government angry. angry. So. They come and do that. They end up making a trap for themselves. And Jesus takes them beyond this question and asks them something personal about them. And now, after this political plot has failed, there is a new plot. This group of people called the Sadducees, they come not with a political question, but with a theological question, a question about the scriptures, a question about the Bible and how to interpret what it says. Now, the Sadducees, they were another sect, sort of like the Pharisees and the Herodians or the scribes. The Sadducees were a group of people um, who had some particular defining features that separated them from the Pharisees. Um, you see here in verse 18, immediately Mark identifies them as those who say there is no resurrection. That's sort of their defining theological identity. That's how we know that they are Sadducees. That's the group that they are in, the ones who do not believe in the resurrection. They also do not believe in angels. 
Um, that's another sort of theological position that they hold. They don't really like these supernatural things happening. They're, they're more like, they more uh, are drawn to natural things. So they don't quite like the idea of a resurrection, people being raised after they die, or that there are angels, these spirits that are involved in God's redemptive plan. Now, Jesus uses this occasion to kill two birds with one stone. They come and ask him a question about the resurrection. He fires back, um, dismantling their argument about the resurrection. And he even adds that people will not be married in heaven, but they'll be like the angels. He brings up the angels and the resurrection in one reply, um, killing two birds with one stone. I'm sure they would have been very upset. Now, another thing that they held to was that they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the books that Moses himself wrote, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so when they come to Jesus, they're, they're coming from a position where they only believe in these books. So when they ask him a question, they have to ask him a question from these books. And the question that they bring him is from Deuteronomy. And if you're not familiar with this law about the brother-in-law marrying his brother's wife, if he dies and has no children, it's called the Leveret law. It just means brother-in-law law. So as they say here, if your brother dies and he has no children, with his wife, you have to marry that wife. And then you have to have children for your brother. And that was called the Leverett Law. It's got to do with marriage. So they think, ah, here's an opportunity. We do not believe in the resurrection. We believe in the first five books of the Bible, and there is a law there, a Leverett Law. And perhaps if we bring this question to Jesus, we will trap him. Because how absurd is it to think that a man who has a wife and then he dies and then his wife has to marry his brother. And then there are seven brothers. So she's had seven husbands and then she finally dies and has no children. When they die and are risen again, whose wife is she going to be? There's seven of them. And it doesn't make sense that seven people can be one woman's husband. It just doesn't make sense. So how could there be a resurrection? So this is their way of making a straw man argument. They're making a caricature of the resurrection. They're trying to prove how absurd it is, how crazy this idea of the resurrection is. How could there be a resurrection when there are such things as marriage in this world? It just doesn't make sense. So they haven't come seeking knowledge or want to have a friendly discussion with Jesus. They've come to set him in a trap. They don't even believe in the resurrection, but they're bringing this hypothetical situation to Jesus to try and make him laughable. They're really intending that the crowd just laughs at him after he replies with some silly reply and he has to go away. Now, he is an enemy of the Sadducees. He's an enemy of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees don't really get along, but they have this common goal of getting rid of Jesus. And if one of them can trap him or make him foolish, then they all succeed because now he's out of the picture and life can go back to how it was. Life can go back to normal without this Jesus character walking around. So now they bring him this argument. And I want to point out a couple of things. It's from verse 19 through to verse 23. This is when they bring up the argument. There was a man, he dies. The second man took the wife, he dies. The third man also, likewise with the rest of the seven, whose wife is she going to be? This is their argument. Now, what's important to notice in their argument is they make some very incorrect 
assumptions. What have they assumed about heaven? What have they assumed about the resurrection that they just can't gel with? Well, they think heaven is this place that is exactly like everything here, except it's just first class edition. It's the platinum member edition. So everything that we can experience here, everything we enjoy here and are involved in here, heaven is just a souped up, boosted version of that. And now it's important to um, think, what do you think of when you hear the word heaven? What runs through your mind if, when I say resurrection and eternal life? What do you think about when you think that there is life after death and it goes on forever? Now, whatever this bringing to mind will reveal to you whether you are falling in, into some of these errors that the Sadducees are falling into. Now, don't we often think, oh, heaven's going to be cool because I get to have the Ferrari and the mansion? Heaven's going to be great because, you know, everything that I have here, I, I mean, you know, I only make um, X amount of dollars here, but when I get there, I'll make a hundred times that, a million times that. I'll be more well off. You know, I really enjoy this particular activity here on earth. Man, it's going to be so much better when I can do it even better over there and it's going to be more enjoyable. And we often make some assumptions about what heaven is going to be like. If you ask a person on the street, hey, what do you think heaven would be like if you got to go there? Um, they might say some correct things. There's going to be no sickness. Um, you know, oh man, it's going to be great because I'm always going to be with my kids. I'm always going to be with my husband or my wife. There are assumptions made about heaven that are incorrect. And we um, are in danger of falling into those traps. What is most appealing about heaven to you? What do you think is the greatest thing in heaven? What do you look forward to enjoying if you are a believer in Christ? What sits above everything else? Um, think about those things. Now, that's not the main point of this passage. We, we want to move on from that and look at Jesus' reply. Go down to verse 24. Look at how the Lord replies to this question. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Now, they haven't made a statement. They've asked the question. So isn't it Jesus supposed to give the answer and then they assess whether he's right or wrong? Now, Jesus has taken their question as a statement because they have made a statement in asking the question. What they're really saying is the resurrection cannot be real because of the leveret law, this brother-in-law um, law that happens when his brother dies. So they haven't really come asking a question. They're not looking for information or enlightenment. They're actually setting a trap. And they've made these assumptions about what heaven is going to be like. Therefore, Jesus responds to them, not as if they've made, asked the question to him. They've, he responds as if they've made a statement because they have. They've stated what they believe. And so Jesus says to them in verse 24, is this not the reason you are wrong? And he goes on to say, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, what Jesus does here is he identifies the root cause of every single theological error that has ever existed. He talks to them here and he says, well, the reason that you think that marriage continues into eternity is because you don't understand the scriptures. You don't know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. The reason that you think that there is no resurrection is because you do not know the scriptures and because you do not know the power of God. 
The reason that you only affirm the first five books is because you don't actually know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. The reason that you don't think that there are, there are angels is because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. Now, every single theological error that has ever existed throughout all human history starts here. If you have something wrong in your theology, it starts here because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. Now, when you talk to people today and you ask them about Jesus and you say, hey, do you think Jesus was real? Yeah, I think he was real, but I don't believe he did any miracles. Like he was probably just a historical figure, but he, surely he can't have done those things. Well, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Surely he doesn't save people for eternity. Surely he doesn't change people's lives. There must be some social aspect to it, some chemical imbalances in the mind that would make you sort of feel these things. Isn't it like a placebo where you become a believer and, and you just, because you think these things, then you start living a certain way. It can't truly be God remaking a heart in a person and drawing them to himself. Or you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. So every error on every level, from those that are of eternal importance, got to do with the Trinity, that have to do with the gospel, every single error, starting from those central ones to the ones that branch out, the, that make the differences between a denomination. Now, we are Reformed Baptist Church. We love our Reformed Presbyterian brothers, but we have differences. One of us has to be wrong. And that error will stem from not knowing the scriptures well enough and not knowing the power of God well enough. On every single level, that's where error begins. Okay? So that's important to know, and that's what Jesus identifies for them straight away. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, Jesus plays nice with them, and now he, he begins to, on their terms, answer their question answer this dilemma that they've put in front of him. And if you look at verse 25, he says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, don't get too distracted about that part where it says, like angels in heaven. We do not become angels. Many people I've heard at funerals say, well, heaven has gained another angel. No, that, that is not true. Um, heaven does not gain another angel when a human dies. We do not become angels, but we become like angels. What is it about angels that we become like? Well, angels do not marry, and they are not given in marriage. And that's a simple thing that Jesus is just presenting. So we do not become angels, and nor are we given in marriage, just like the angels. And so he clears up this big problem for them. They've come with this, this comprehensive question that they've probably thought about for a long time. And they present it to Jesus, and Jesus, in two sentences, dismantles the whole thing. He takes the air out of everything, and he just says, well, there's no marriage in heaven. Now, it's important for us to understand. I know some of us really, well, hopefully every single married person here loves their spouse um, with all of their heart. And it's important that we do that here and now, and it's important that we also understand that marriage is forever on earth. It is temporal. It is meant to be completed. It is not meant to be upgraded. So marriage is something that ends here in this realm. And praise God for those marriages that have been completed, for those husbands and wives that have passed away, and those vows have been kept. 
That is a marriage completed. That is a marriage that has been finished. And praise God for those marriages. But every marriage will end. And we pray that all of them would end as a completed marriage. But that's what marriage is. There is one marriage that will last for eternity, and that's between Christ and the church. That will go on forever. But the marriages that we experience here and now on earth, they are meant to be completed, God-honoring marriages that are to be finished here on earth. So there you go. There's what Jesus replies to them. He says, there is no marriage. He plays on their terms. He gives them the answer. He gives them the theology that they're lacking. And now he goes for the question that is really the, the bottom line question. They've, they've presented a marital argument. They've come with a marriage question, but that's not really what they're attacking. They believe in the liberal law, just like Jesus did. But what they're attacking is what they do not believe, the resurrection. So the resurrection actually sits under this marriage question. It's presented like that, but they're trying to refute. They're trying to deny and reject the resurrection. Now, Jesus takes it from arguing on their terms to now arguing on his own terms. So look with me to verse 26. <clears throat> and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he brings up something that they could understand. They believed in the book of Exodus in chapter three, where this burning of the bush happened. And it's here at this burning of the bush, hundreds of years later, like we're talking 400 years later, where Moses is standing um, and looking at this burning bush. And out of the burning bush, God speaks to him. And he says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, what he's getting at here is that God does not say to uh, Moses, I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob. When they existed, when they were alive centuries ago, I was their God. No, the point that Jesus is making here is that I still am their God right now. And for God to be their God right now, it requires that they are still living right now. And so this is the argument that Jesus brings to them. God is the God of the living, and he's not the God of the dead. And that should be such an encouragement to us. Friends, when we finish this life, we do not go into oblivion. We, didn't, we are not annihilated. Um, the Sadducees thought that. They thought that the soul just ceased to exist at the point of death. No, Jesus is saying that the soul goes on. We live on forever, and there will be a resurrection where we are raised with our new bodies, and we will be with him forever. And what's so encouraging about this is this, if God has saved you now, you can be sure that he will save you forever because he doesn't lose anyone. He doesn't let anyone slip through his hands. He doesn't lose his grip on the souls that are in his hands. And not only that, not only does he not lose you now, but he will never lose you. Your eternal existence, your eternal living is tied to him. As surely as he is alive, you will be alive with him. As surely as he lives and goes on and is eternal, you will have that experience too. In a hundred years from now, we will be talking about you. People will talk about you. And if you were a believer in God, we will say, God is their God. Not God was their God. 
It's not a past tense verb. We're, we're talking about right here and right now. Did you know today God is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob? Right now, he is their God. And so you see there in the last verse that we'll consider, verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. You see how his response started in verse 24 and how it ends here in verse 27? He says, this is not the reason you are wrong. And then at the end, he says, you are quite wrong. Now, he's not just throwing truths out there and just saying, well, this is what is actually true. What he's doing is he's saying, you are quite wrong. In fact, the position that you hold right now and not believing in the resurrection and not looking to Jesus is something that will affect you for eternity. There are eternal consequences for how you see Jesus and how you view Jesus and your relationship with him. What he's saying here is, you are quite wrong. You better get it right. Now, these Sadducees, not only did they reject the, the revelation of the prophets when God revealed himself in the prophets and in the writings in the Old Testament, but right now, right here, the final revelation stands before them. You remember in the book of Hebrews, in, in, in the past, he's talked to our fathers through the prophets, and, and now he's talking to us through Jesus. That's how God was talking to everyone. But in this final way, the, most, the, the way that you see God most clearly is when you look at Jesus, and Jesus was standing right in front of them. The, the purest revelation from God the most accurate representation of who God is. In fact, just the exact imprint. It was God standing before them, revealed in Jesus Christ. They had all of this revelation of the Old Testament that they rejected. And now they're looking at the final revelation right in front of them, and they are rejecting it. And what is the consequence of being wrong? There are eternal consequences. They will not receive this resurrection that they are rejecting if they hold to this, if they continue in their rejection of Jesus Christ. Now it's important to understand as well that not only is Jesus revealed to them as he stood there in the flesh, but we have this revelation of Jesus Christ as we look at all of the Old Testament and especially in the New Testament where he is revealed so clearly. The Old Testament, we saw him in parts and places, but in the, Old, in the New Testament, we see him most clearly. And now what I say to you is, he is right here in front of you as you consider these words. And if you reject them, if you get Jesus Christ, Christ wrong, if you are quite wrong as you look at this, I will know it is because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, there's a very important conversation around the resurrection that Jesus had with one woman. Her name was Martha. And Martha, her brother Lazarus, died. And Jesus comes and talks to Martha, and he's been dead for four days. And Martha says to him, you know, if you had been here early, maybe you could have healed him, and, and he would be okay. And Jesus looks at her in John 11 and says, your brother will rise again. And she says, with good theology, because she's not like a Sadducee, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And what Jesus says to her next is extremely important. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, 
yet he shall live. He, he, he says that to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There is life beyond the death that we experience here. And it is through Jesus who is the resurrection. And don't you just see how bizarre this is? They came with a question about the resurrection to the one who is the resurrection. And the one who is the resurrection comes to you this very morning in the scriptures and the power of God. Now, what will your response be to this? Will you be one who rejects this clear revelation of God and the power that comes with him? Or will you say, I, I, I believe? Because that's what he asked Martha. Right after he makes that statement, he says, do you believe? And that's the question that we all must answer. Do you believe? Okay, let's pray. Our gracious God, we come again with more thanksgiving for your word. And uh, Lord, we come to you also with great requests. Lord, as we think about the Sadducees and how they rejected your revelation and your revelation in its final form in the person of Jesus Christ, though the resurrection was standing before them, they came to deny the resurrection. Uh, Lord, as we consider that hard-heartedness uh, we know that we are no different from them unless you do something to us. So, Lord, we come this morning asking for your grace, asking, Lord, that you would do something miraculous, asking that we would experience your power. Oh, Lord, would you change hearts so that we might receive your scriptures wholeheartedly, that we might look at the resurrection and see your power and not reject it. So, Lord, help each person here this morning to consider those very important questions about the resurrection, about the eternal state, and whether we believe in Jesus, the resurrection. We are so grateful too, Lord, uh, that there is a resurrection, that it will be eternal, and that it is far better than the imagination could ever think up or, or imagine. But we're so grateful that uh, we could multiply our expectations of heaven every single day for the rest of eternity and we would never be disappointed so lord help us to think on that great day when we will be with you forever help us to remember uh, that the glory that will be revealed in us is not to be compared with any suffering in this world or anything else lord help us to look to the joys of eternity because that is where you are and that is where we will be with you uninterrupted by our sin help us to love the lord jesus christ so much in this life and look forward with great expectation to seeing him forever. Lord, let that be true of everyone here. And Lord, do not let us be quite wrong as were the Sadducees. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.